Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hey, everybody. I'm Lynn Posnick. I'm one of the co-founders of Xperio. Hi, I'm Sarah Slate, UX Director at Xperio. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal, Technical Sales Lead and Senior Architect at Xperio. And today we also have a special guest joining us. Hey everyone, I'm Diane. I am the co-founder and head of design at The Design Project. So today we're going to be getting into all the detailed ins and outs of working with startups. I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. So let's get started. So I think a good first question is just kind of approaching how startups are unique when it comes to designing for them, some of the unique considerations or constraints or issues that can come up. What makes startups so unique from a design perspective? I think one of the biggest unique challenges is that startups move really quickly, um, which we all kind of know, right? It makes sense. Startups are always pivoting, changing directions. Um, But I think from a design standpoint and from a design agency standpoint, it's really hard to understand what you're building for, like, and who you're building for. What stage is that company at? Are they trying to get users? Are they trying to get investors? And that's really going to be a huge understanding of how we would approach from a UX standpoint that designer. Are we just coming up with something pretty so that like, uh, an investor is like, yeah, I want to buy whatever that is. Or are we like, hey, this user is really struggling and we need to understand how to like pivot and redesign and think about the user at the end of the day. So I would say that's probably one of the most unique challenges. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's interesting that uh, you mentioned there may be different goals depending on the startup you're working with. If they're just trying to get funding, they might not need like a whole ton of really detailed stuff that might just be like, hey, we want to prove this one use case, this one kind of proposition as viable so we can you know get more funding for that or it may be you know they're coming at it from a different direction and needs some they still need design help but maybe from a different perspective or, or different kind of design help so it, it varies depending on the industry that they're in the stage that they're in the amount of funding that they have and the goals that they have because it, it may vary pretty widely within that spectrum as I say oftentimes you don't even have that one user you're designing for right it's all users because it's not just a design challenge, but a business challenge as well, where it's like, okay, we're in this space and we want to quickly satisfy everyone that we can in the limited time and budget that we have available. And so now you have competing uh, requirements coming from everywhere and restrictions and you're trying to design for all of them and avoid uh, Frankenstein's monster at the same time. Yeah, and I was going to say something similar, and you just you just kind of nailed it there, and Diane mentioned earlier, it can be really difficult to sort of delineate between who is your market early on. So, you know, a lot of times startups, right, they need to bring revenue in the door. So <laughs> they're just trying to get those lighthouse customers. And sometimes lighthouse customers, they can be great, but they also don't necessarily always represent your market. And so as a designer... Well, how far should we go on this? How representative are these in the market? Is this a one-off ask? Is this something that like, I don't need to design it to scale. This is just going to be for, you know, is it going to be part of the product? Is it going to be something that just is picked up by one initial lighthouse customer? You know, I think another challenge is sometimes UX is simply not the priority. Like they will have someone involved um, with UX uh, because everybody knows they need to at least 
deliver something, right? Even in the most disruptive market, that's at least uh, somewhat usable, right? But it might not be a priority, which can also be uh, a challenge as a designer when you see, <laughs> you know, these are the issues that we know need to be addressed, but it's just not something that they're prioritizing right now from a business model standpoint. And that can make a lot of sense, but it can be really a little frustrating to see some of these things go by that, you know, it's like, oh, that's not going to land well. People are going to be confused or it's not going to scale properly, but it's just, we can't address it yet. Right. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about that is like you kind of need to choose your battles. There may be, like we were saying, very limited funding or it's not seen as a priority. So like, okay, what are the big wins we can get to kind of prove out that this is valuable and with the hope that, okay, maybe when there is more funding or when when these recommendations we're making prove to be worth it, you know, you're kind of invited back to the table, so to speak. But yeah, you may need to kind of pick and choose. Okay, there are 10 big improvements we'd like to make and we can only pick three or four how can we you know, navigate that well and make sure it's stuff that's important to the stakeholders, but also can be meaningful to users and kind of helps to prove the, the value of UX to those who might be a little bit skeptical or feel like it's you know just icing on the top. It's not really that important. And really like, well, if you don't get that part right, it can trickle down and create a lot more issues that you wouldn't think are associated with the UX. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was going to add is like, I think our role as UX is to understand and to like, to be a part of the whole company, you need to understand the business goals. What is the business trying to achieve? We can't be in our silo of UX of, oh, we always have to think of the user first because that's just not how startups work. We need to keep the lights on, right? So if the most important thing is to get investors, then a user's gonna be secondary, tertiary at that point in time. And it's really important for us to understand that and like have that empathy because that's how everyone's gonna work best together. One interesting thing I've heard before in the startup space, and I think Kareem, you had mentioned this earlier, was the idea that we don't even know who our users are, or we don't have enough users to warrant investigating UX or putting time and effort into UX because we're not really sure who who our users are. How do you approach when that's the situation where the company is so young, they don't have any users to test with, or they don't know quite who their target is? So there's some pushback there. We're like, what's the point in testing? We don't even know who's going to be using it. And how do you respond to that when that when that comment comes up? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Like there has to be interest in UX because if there's no interest and it's going to be an uphill battle and like from my perspective, we're an agency, we're kind of external, right? There's only so much push we have. And so we want to find customers or people that see the initial value and are somewhat interested because if they're not at all, it's never going to work. I feel very strongly that you have to have a partnership where both teams are like wanting to work together. If it doesn't make sense and it's just not the right time, there's only so far you can push it. But that being said, there are people that come to us and they're like, hey, I have this idea. I think it could be interesting to bring in UX, but I don't know how I'm super early. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. um, and what I would say to those people is like UX is always... <laughs> like super important. Something that we believe at the design project is like making design accessible. We think any startup, any size should have access to UX because they're building products for users. If users can't use the products, then everything's going to fall apart eventually. So a lot of the customers we have, they're like, they have the first big hires are developers to build something. And then they're like, we've built this product. We have funding. We have maybe a couple users, but there's a lot of issues. And that's when they bring us in is they like have this like structure already in place. And they're like, how can you help us? Um, so in that case, especially if they're super early on, we're like, hey, we need to test. We need to understand what's working and what's not working. And even if 
you have a very specific user set, there are UX best practices that should be applied across everything. So if I go into your platform and I can't even get to a specific page or I don't even understand the information, that is a UX best practice that we should be tackling and fixing from day one. And that doesn't take us understanding all the details about your user to be able to do that. Um, so usually just understanding and they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Like a button should, you should be able to click a button. It should go to a page or this should be very clear that you swipe it. Whatever that looks like is just an underlying point that every product should have is this underlying UX best practices. In terms of user access, not always, but sometimes or a lot of the times startups, there's often a lot of SMEs on board. Like there's a reason they started this. Like sometimes you get serial entrepreneurs that really know nothing about the field, but you know, a VC or whoever is going to bet on them because they've delivered in the past, right? But shortly thereafter, these, these types of folks still are going to surround themselves with SMEs. And that can be another kind of first line of defense is we don't know exactly all the personas, but what we do have access to is some people that have been in this domain, whatever it is, for 20 years, right? So you're building something that financial domain. Great. Um, you happen to have on staff people that were bond traders for 25 years. Fantastic. Well, let's talk with them first. We don't have any customers yet. We can do that, that sort of feedback internally as well, right? And to see what's working and are things making sense, but also is it usable and is it useful? Is it valuable, right? Because you really, you need both. And I, I, I would even say we lean in, uh, we tend to lean a little bit more on the value prop, especially with startups, because if the value is there, even if users struggle through it, they're still let more likely to buy and it's more likely to stick because it's enabling them to do something, right? That's valuable. Um, and we can kind of fix the usability later. I cringe even saying that out loud, but... <laughs> Um, but, you know, if you could validate that value and one of the best ways to do that is, is SMEs, even if they don't necessarily represent spot on who the different audience segments are going to be. So we tend to tend to do that with internal folks. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's great. I think that also makes me think of another unique part of working with startups that you kind of touched on was there are serial entrepreneurs for sure, but a lot of the startups, they're like, there's a small team and they're so passionate about what they're building. It's like they eat, live, breathe this product, this startup. And so that's great because a lot of the times they are somewhat of the users or they know those users or they talk to them. So there are people that you could reach out to, whether it's the direct founder or even like people they know and the whole reason they started that product. There's something empathetic, there's something under there that that we can leverage um, that you can't really get with larger companies. Yeah, and it's and you, you have a really good point there. It's so important to even if you're trying to leverage those initial sort of you know SMEs in the organization, still try to get outside the building a little bit because those SMEs likely know others and you don't want to be in that echo chamber, right? You want to mm -hmm. get just a little bit, even if they're not totally representative of your market. I think the response you get to proposing the need for UX is different between startups and maybe a, a company that's been around for 30 years and their software is super outdated and they know it needs to be updated, but they're resistant because it's a huge effort. I feel like a lot of times startups are more receptive to the value of UX because they want to differentiate themselves and because they're smaller and moving more quickly. Um, there can sometimes be this resistance for like, you know, for, for larger companies that have been around a while, like, man, if we invest in UX, that's going to be a years long effort because everything looks outdated and old and we've never really spent time on that. It's going to be a big, like there's some resistance to that just because it sounds, you know, like a gargantuan ask. Whereas you know, a lot of startups, 
kind of come into it with this scrappy attitude of like, yeah, we're going to disrupt the market. Yeah, we have a new idea. Yeah, let's spend some time on UX to really differentiate ourselves so that we're not just like everyone else. So I think that's that's kind of one of the differences in like the attitude that you may find when working with startups, just that there's, it's more receptive and more like, yeah, we want to feel like a fresh new app rather than something that's, you know, kind of dated and we didn't put a lot of effort into how it looks and feels. So I'm, I'm curious, and we've spent some time talking about unique challenges of working with startups in UX, and, and those are there, but there are also some really fun and unique and exciting opportunities that come with that area uh, that you don't have elsewhere. So I'm curious, what are some of those opportunities that y'all have come across or that get y'all excited when the idea of working with a startup comes up? Well, I think you were already kind of hitting on it, Johnny, but just having that kind of unique opportunity to help instill a user-centric culture from the ground up where you might not have the opportunity or that much influence with, with a larger organization and, and with less people involved and, and less rigid processes that you would have, you know, at an established company. Um, it's often easier to, to get that buy-in or, or help shape that because you're, you're not trying to, to reconstruct a whole huge company and 10,000 people in the way they go about design thinking. I think that's great. And Sarah, to kind of jump on what you said is I also think the idea of pivoting, like a lot of startups, they might need to change direction quickly. And because it's such a small team and because nothing's like concrete or they just have maybe a small design system, it's really easy to pivot. And I think that's really exciting when you actually are getting feedback live and you're like, oh, look at all this feedback. We should pivot and rethink how we structure this product. And I always find that really exciting. So yeah, that's what I would add. There's also the fun part of, you know, what I'll call pivot by design, which is a lot of what we do said another way is throw something in front of the user. Uh, and that's the best way to get some feedback and interaction, especially in early on when you don't know what your users are or what they're looking for, right? Start putting stuff in front of them and keep what sticks and then pivot with the rest and keep going, right? And so we actually do a lot of that on our projects, uh, whether it's large or small clients, uh, just because that sort of strategy works. And you can take that concept and apply it to startups in general as well uh, to help sort of get to that focus. And then you hone in on the pieces that are sticking and uh, start building that out. Uh, and so it's, it's a lot of uh, exciting almost supernova type stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff happening. There's some, you know, organic matter flying out. Some of it <laughs> will form into stars. Some of it won't, right? Uh, you know, you follow the stars uh, and you go with that. I also would add to, to that is like, there's really deep discussions. Like there's a lot of really great dialogue that comes out of this point. And like, there's definitely, I don't want to say arguments, there's like disagree and commit type of situations where you're like, well, I don't know what else to say. So let's just try it out. And so I think there's a lot of like forming that partnership and really trusting the people, whether it's like the UX team or the founders, it's like really close knit. And you guys are all kind of like in it together to solve this problem or to pivot or to find a solution for the users. And so having those really great discussions is something I never experienced when working more in a corporate setting. So I really value that relationship. And not always, but often with startups, you're being asked to innovate, which, which is a nice opportunity rather than, I mean, modernization is fun. Sometimes there's innovation involved. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, hey, we want to 
build this thing, you, you know, a larger corporation, it just, it might be something that's a little bit more rote, right? But startups can be a real chance to innovate um, maybe in how certain things are done, maybe a whole new technology altogether. Um, it might mean new UI paradigms that have never been thought of before, right? So um, that's one of the things that gets me really excited is we, you know, we get the opportunity to do a lot of innovation with our startup clients. I love that. Yeah, and this, this kind of came up earlier, but I think that um, similar to like startups being receptive to UX just because they want to differentiate, I feel like there's often also the idea that startups are more receptive to and interested in partnering together rather than just like coming and saying, okay, here's what we want, go do it for us. It's like there's there can be a sense of a greater sense of collaboration and working together and kind of becoming true partners when you're like trying to build something new together that's not impossible, but at times can be harder to do when you're not working with uh, a brand new company that's like just trying to survive. And that aspect of becoming partners and that like, you know, making connections with people who are really, really passionate about what they're doing and really want to like change things or do something really important or significant. It, yeah, it's really exciting and it's really energizing. And there's a, there's an aspect of it that I think is just unique in the startup space. Cause yeah, a lot of it is driven by passion and excitement and you know, that's that's just a different dynamic that at times that can be really it just changes how the project feels and it creates this really unique environment that's really conducive to like great new ideas coming up and like no one is shooting you down for coming up with a bad idea it's like okay maybe we can take that and iterate on it instead or you know that kind of a thing kind of like what kareem was saying like you're just putting stuff out there and seeing what sticks and uh it's it can be a lot of fun. It's it's hard and it can be stressful, but it's it's a really like special type of project that I really enjoy. And something um, that that we do at the design project, like one of our pitches for why uh, customers should sign up for the design project and work on UX, is that we have like a high level process. So like startups move, change, shift a lot, but we do have like a set of steps that we find through working with all of our customers that makes sense. So I think having some kind of high level process and setup helps everyone feel more comfortable kind of going through so many unknowns. Um, and so I really think that is important to lean on like, okay, like let's do these workshops or these are steps that we have that have shown in the past with customers that help us get to a solution faster. So by having some game plan, um, it's usually pretty helpful to get everyone on board. Mm -hmm. Food helps too. Nothing like the, the food <laughs> aspect of a startup and, you know, catering and all sorts of stuff going on to bring that excitement and uh, people together. Never, never uh, design on an empty stomach. <laughs> there is something true about that, like gathering around a meal with the people you're working with when you're stuck on a really hard problem. And, you know, that that relational aspect actually does like affect how you work together and the quality of the things you put together. I was going to say, especially like today, like a lot of us work remote, we're on Zoom all the time. But when you get a team together, it's so obvious the power that it holds versus how we've been working for the past few years. Exactly. Like don't underestimate how how fruitful it is just getting these people together, especially for startups and design stages early on to get everyone on the same page and really make uh, a, you know 10x more progress than you would remotely uh, early on. What are some other opportunities or unique challenges or just thoughts that come to mind when approaching uh, startups from the UX perspective? I mean, as a designer, I feel like, you know, on some of those 
kind of more smaller focused, nimble teams. Um, one, like having better access to our stakeholders and clients versus someone that's at a large institution and they've only got like one hour of calendar availability a day, but just being able to chat and Slack back and forth all day or hop on a quick Zoom call frequently with like, you know, 20 minutes notice because, you know, they just are more accessible and have have more time to dedicate to it because they're not, you know, spread across 10 different projects at a large company. And that gives us an opportunity as designers to kind of find yourself wearing more hats or multiple hats and dipping into the product space and just kind of having your, your fingers in more places, I think is a great opportunity from just like speaking as a designer where I get to learn more things and, and wear more hats on those type of projects. Another thought I had on top of that, something that we do at the design project is um, when you work in startups and you're hired as a designer in a startup, it's usually like you and maybe one other person. A lot of the time it's you. It's a lonely space. It's hard to work as a sole designer in a startup. And so something that's really important to us is like, because we are like consulting is we have designers that are working in other projects. They're wearing different hats. But also we have a team of designers that are working with a ton of different customers. So we can come together and brainstorm ideas and get feedback on our projects with other designers. And I think that leads to a lot of great discussions. A lot of good ideas come out of that because, yeah, it's it's great to have those discussions. Kind of you're talking about in general with partnerships, just in general with startups. So also in the design space, you need to have people that you can go to, put an idea by them, see what they say, get feedback iterate and play in that sort of way. Yeah, I know that's been a big value for us here at Xperia too, the the idea that even though we may all be across different projects, having those, you know, predefined moments where we can come together and whether it's at our summit every year or whether it's during like a weekly or bi-weekly meeting where just all the designers get together and can share, hey, I came across this weird pattern I've never seen before. Or, hey, I'm trying to solve this problem and I it's like it's not quite clicking or I know I'm onto something, but the, my solution isn't quite there. What do y'all think? Yeah, having those opportunities built in to collaborate just with other designers. Because yeah, oftentimes in the startup space, there's only budget for one person or like maybe one and a half people, or you know, it can be kind of isolating. So having those opportunities, whether it's through the company you work with or through networking events or other opportunities, staying sharp by connecting with other designers who are going to see things from a different perspective or who just like, you know, they're not so deep in whatever you're working on that they can actually like think outside the box a little bit when it's like, I've been thinking about this from a financial services perspective for, you know, seven months and someone who's working in, you know, retail or biotech or whatever comes in and says, oh, well, I've seen something similar in this completely different industry, but I think that could solve your problem. You know, there's, there's some really neat connections you can make when you just take a step back and, and connect with the other people who are working on similar, but very different projects and just how you can, you know, kind of learn from each other. Absolutely. So I, I am curious what y'all think. You know, we've talked about sometimes startups are, they're open to UX, but there might not be a lot of budget for it, but there also may at times still be resistance to it for whatever reason. What are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of pitch, hey, like, I know this might not seem important to you, but here's here's why I think investing in UX would be valuable. Or how do you approach when there's obviously a need for UX and maybe even some desire to invest in it? And, you know, what, what are some of the ways you can, you know, prove the value of UX? One method is to, uh, you know, lean and cite prior examples on how UX has really helped differentiate, especially if you're going 
and starting up in an existing market, right? So uh, take Gmail, for example. Uh, when Gmail came along, it introduced some new things like labels instead of folders and uh, whatnot uh, that people didn't fully grok. But uh, a lot of its uh, uh, differentiator was its UX, right? Email is email. You're replying, you're forwarding, you're, you're, not, you're sending new ones. But its approach to UX and the simplified uh, uh, look and feel of it really set it apart. And it was very lightweight. And right, that's, that's where an example is you focused on UX a lot, uh, focused on the user. And uh, you really sort of sh- shot through the competition and uh, took the lead, right? Uh, and so citing other examples like this, where it really will help against your competitors is uh, one way to approach it. Sometimes UX can feel subjective, um, unfortunately. <laughs> and being able to quantify how it will help improve the business, close funding, right? So being able to understand what their goals really are. So they may already have a UX, even as a startup that needs some improvement. They may have ideas of where they want to go or what they want to focus on in UX. They don't have something already. Um, And understanding what their goals are, like, is their goal to have a certain amount of user adoption? Is there a goal to have a certain amount of engagement? Is it to increase the sales that they already have? Um, you know, whatever. So the point is that these things can be quantified and UX has levers just like anything else in your business, right? So you're going to pick and choose the things that you focus on from a design standpoint, from a feature functionality standpoint. The way you might design something for increased adoption might be different than the way you're going to design it for stickiness or a novice user, right, that needs a lot of handholding versus if their initial audience is expert users and they need them to really engage or whatever, right? So we always try to get people to quantify it and we like to take UX out of the subjective and have some very concrete goals that then back up into design principles that are going to move the needle on whatever those business goals are for, you know, startups or otherwise, I mean, it doesn't have to be a startup. I love that. I definitely think that we can always quantify and a lot of people think we can't, but UX, you can. <laughs> there are ways to do it and there are metrics that you can pull. So I, I think that's a great answer. And I think it's like showing that we can prove to you the value um, that we have. Another thing I was going to say, something we do, we usually do this once a customer signs up to like help them understand the value we can provide. We do like a UX teardown, we call it, which is basically... Um, we walk through a product, a page, whatever, and we start to identify um, places where the user experience is breaking. So we have like a high, medium, low rating, high, it's like a user can't even move, low is like, oh, maybe it's a small UI color change. And then we also combine that with the UX heuristics. And we're saying, hey, like, this is your product. This is best practices that your product is not meeting. And here are suggestions of some low-hanging fruit that we could start on immediately that is going to show you results quickly. Yeah, and that, that is awesome. We, we, we call them expert emails. I like the teardown better, though. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, super valuable. Well, I'm curious. We This is kind of a unique opportunity because we have two co-founders in the room. So I'm curious for, for Lynn and, and Diane both, like, what are some of the ways that y'all have found success working with startups in your own kind of unique niches that you've been able to find and what have been some of the you know unique challenges that you faced you know and just with running an agency in general like it's, it's not an easy thing to do but like how have you been able to navigate that space to to make things work and to, to find good opportunities and navigated those hurdles 
Um, yeah, I can jump in first. I have two things that came to mind. I think the first and most important thing about starting um, my own agency was finding great people to work with. The hardest thing in the world, lots of time, took a lot of effort at the beginning of this agency. I was hiring contractors that were great, but they didn't, they weren't really invested in the design project and they did good work, but then they would work on other projects outside. And so what we ended up doing was hiring full-time um, and building a team. And we have like a, for the size we are, we have a pretty rigorous like recruiting process because we found that finding that perfect fit is what really elevates us. And it makes us be able to, those designers can really go in and form those relationships with our customers. And that's like something that's super important to us. So like hiring super awesome talent is probably the number one thing that I've learned. What about you, Lynn? Yeah, no, I mean, consulting, it's always the people. I'm, I'm totally aligned with you on that. It's its always the people. Um, you know, we, we tend to build things and design things for domain experts. So we get into kind of the uh, pretty heavy lifting of deep domains. So oil and gas, biotech, energy, like all, all kinds of different things, finance. And, and so it has to be um, great people, uh, you know, culture fit and all that, but also for us, people that really enjoy that kind of level of like, I don't know, diving into these hard problems, because really you have to become a pseudo expert, right? And if someone is not into like coming, becoming a, a pseudo bond trader or a pseudo electrical engineer or geophysicist, like <laughs> they're not going to really enjoy what we what we happen to do, you know, at our company. So I think, you know, it's the people. And then to your point, I mean, you got to find people that just are going to love whatever space you're in as a startup, right? So that they're going to get passionate about it too, even if they didn't start out like as an SME of that or whatever. And, you know, as a consultant, I think you nailed it. And we have very much the same mentality. You, you got to find people that um, they're comfortable being consultants or you can train them to be consultants. You know, it's not just you know, as a designer, just kind of go off and do your designs and be part of a team. Now, that's part of it, but you got to be able to really partner and interact with people and not be afraid to wear 20 different hats because whether it's a startup or not as a consultant, like that's what you're going to do with your clients because they're going to, if you're, hopefully if you're doing your job right, they trust you. And fortunately and unfortunately, they trust you with things that are in your warehouse and maybe things that are out of your warehouse. <laughs> they have to say, I know you love me, but you're going to love Kareem too. Or Johnny. <laughs> you're so awesome. Like you're just, you're going to love them even more, right? Because you're thinking, I have no idea how to do this. This is not my thing, but I'm glad they love us. You know, kind of a deal. But anyway, yeah, absolutely people. Well, that gets back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about having those those moments where you can kind of pull back and collaborate with other people when you're at an organization where everyone is pursuing excellence and is just like eager to share what they're learning with each other even if you're not on the same project that just like increases the like the quality of the company culture and the way that people approach problems even more because you know it's no longer like well oh you're not on my project so I can't talk to you it's like like when you have a culture of openly like, hey, let's help make each other better, even if we're, you know, only able to spend a, a little bit of time each week together, kind of sharing what we're learning. When you're doing that with excellent people who are eager to share and not trying to just like compete with each other and prove they're better than each other or is any weird dynamics like that, like it really, it really trickles down into creating a culture of excellence and a culture of like an eagerness to share and eagerness to learn that I think is really, really valuable. And you know, in the long run benefits all the projects that you're working on too. 
I love that. So something I talked a little bit about our recruiting process, but I think it kind of goes with what you were just saying, Johnny. One of our the first questions we ask is like, what's a negative piece of feedback that you've received and what have you done about it? And it's so easy to just get rid of a lot of applications because many people <laughs> are like, hey, like, oh, I don't know, something little and I fixed it and everything was great and I'm an awesome designer and everyone loves me. And it's like, Okay. <laughs> you obviously don't want to form that kind of community and relationship um, and the culture that we're looking for. And I think that's like what you were just saying is that's really important and key to make sure you're bringing on designers that want to learn and grow and feed off of each other and be there to support each other. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I was going to say specifically with the design project as kind of a differentiator and how we're successful in the startup space is um, we have a subscription-based model. So it's like you sign up and you get a you sign up for a tier and you get a monthly subscription. You get a designer for a month. We work month to month. You can sign up for bigger tiers, but um, kind of breaking down the barriers of a traditional agency model for us has been really great in getting startups because they like this model. It makes sense. A lot of the products they're using are like subscription based, so it feels more natural. And it's also like the price is just super transparent. So it's not like you have to have a call and a scope and understanding all that thing. It's just pretty easy and simple. And like when we launched this idea, I was like, no, this doesn't make sense. Like my background <laughs> is in design. I've been a consultant. I've done the freelance thing. And I was like, this is, this doesn't make sense. And my co-founder was the one who originally was like, we should try this idea. And it proves to be successful. And I think that's one thing that people are really interested in and why they reach out to us is because it feels very easy to engage with us. Now, that's really interesting. Do you find that on a, a subscription model like that, does it tend to have kind of more of a, a stickiness effect or do people tend to, you know, do more of the feel almost like a freelancer thing month to month or, or is it more like lower barrier to entry, I guess, because you don't have to commit to some scope or whatever, but it ends up having a positive benefit for you all where it becomes sticky, even though you started with a lower subscription. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our goal is to form long-term relationships. We want to be the design partners up until they can bring on their own design team and they don't need us and we can hand it off and they can be successful in the future. Um, so most of our customers are, are long-term um, and that is our goal and how it is a lower barrier to entry because we're like, hey, try us out. Um, sign up for a month, see how it goes. You can cancel anytime. And it's also good for startups because as we talked about a lot is startups needs pivot and change. Maybe they need to focus on fundraising or whatever. So there are times where our customers pause for a month or two and come back to us. Um, so we want to give them that option because we understand <laughs> all of the things that a startup does, like we've talked so much about in this conversation. Um, and it also goes back to the people. Once I'm like confident, I have, I'm the salesperson for the design project. I'm confident when I have some of these conversations, I'm like, hey, I think that we're going to be a good fit. Our team is amazing. Trust us. They sign up for a month and they're like, whoa, okay, this is great. You have like a high level process. We have a great designer. And then it continues to lead to success long-term. And then our customers can sign up for three months and get a discount or six months or whatever kind of partnership that looks like. Um, it doesn't always work. I want to say that there are yeah. definitely instances <laughs> where it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work for our customers. And we have to part ways. Um, but I think we definitely have some leverage and there's a space for it and it's working. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Very innovative. Thank you so much. <laughs> Another kind of 
opportunity um, for designers, but also benefit to the startups um, is as UX, I, I think we have an opportunity to tell that company's story through mm. design. Um, and that that's one of the ways that I know a lot of our startups have leveraged and I've been at those tables and help companies do the fundraising and being able to take what is just something in somebody's head and turn it into bits and clicks. Like we talked about, oh, does this work? Is it usable? Is it, you know, good for the user? There's also, you know, this, this tell a story. It's like, is the usability perfect? No. Would it pass an expert eval? Maybe not. It's not spec, but it, it's taking that vision and putting into something concrete. So now an investor or a lighthouse customer can start to see what that product might be like, what the value might be like. Um, and so we, we end up doing a lot of that. And a lot of art, it's not for everybody, <laughs> but uh, many of our designers, you know, find that sort of greenfield blank page, like work closely with these founders to just get the first ever, you know, ideas into pixels, into a prototype or even just a few screenshots of where it can see volume and in, in the funding process and, and help kind of set the vision long before you even have to worry about the usability of the button should be blue and on the top right. It's like, well, what's the story that we want to tell? I love that. I think that was well said. I think like, I guess my lasting, my last comment is for the UXers out there is like, and I think we mentioned this a lot is knowing the business. There's a part of being a designer, which is great. But if you're just as a designer and you don't see the value of understanding like business, then I think there's only so far you can get. And I, this is something I preach often to tons of as many designers as I can. I'm like, hey, get to know business, understand the value of UX, understand just the value of business in general, how, how it works, how you can fundraise, all of that stuff, because that's going to make you a better designer. And that's going to make you understand not just the stakeholders, but also everything that's involved in a company. Um, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying, Lynn, is like, whatever is the need, you have to be able to understand that. And you won't understand it if you don't understand the business, first and foremost. So important. Yeah. That that got me thinking about when we were talking about, you know, finding the right people to build your design team and, and recruiting and stuff is like finding those individuals that are comfortable and working in that very fuzzy front end of a project or product where, you know, things aren't clear. I spent several years working in-house at a couple different cube farms and it was like, Design wasn't approached until the BAs had already gone through and written out the detailed functional requirements and stuff like that. And there wasn't really an opportunity to be involved in that early stage where you're, you know, working more collaboratively with like product people um, where we have that opportunity in, in consulting and designing for startups that I think is just really fun. It can be scary at times, uh, but just, you know, putting you know, getting, getting your hands dirty and rolling up your sleeves and helping them navigate that space and figuring out like, what is it that we're building and what's the value that we're providing and, and helping your customers work through that. For me, it's really tapping into that fun aspect of the startup that you're in, right? So uh, very quickly, startups start out fun and then they get stressful and then you're worried about funding <laughs> and often founders uh you know find themselves dealing with all the other mess instead of focusing on the problem at hand right 
And so by using the UX, it's, it's a way, an enabler to get excited again and, you know, be engaged and, uh, you know, really have fun with it, even when all this other stuff is going on, right? And whether it's right before, you know, uh, a funding seed round or something that you want to, you know, raise uh, interest and excitement for, or, you know, you're going uh, up against a competitor and launching something called threads or something, right? Or whatever. And you want to <laughs> improve upon uh, existing things that are out there. It's just, that's another way to sell it too. It's like, hey, we don't have budget, but with what little we have, let's really make it fun. And, you know, sometimes that, you know, 20% of budget that you have for UX ends up being the 80% driver for moving forward, right? I love that, Cream. Something I say a lot to our team is like, at the end of the day, we're not saving lives, right? At the end of the day, we are pushing pixels which of course it's much more meaningful, but sometimes we get like lost in like all the complexities and it becomes super serious and everyone's like frustrated. It's like, hey, take a deep breath. At the end of the day, we need to have fun. We need to make it light. We need to do our work well, but put things into perspective. Mm -hmm. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experoinc.com or on Twitter at experoinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. Although, awesome. and you can edit this out, Johnny, but uh, if, if you are designing an app for like where you want the drone to drop, you might be designing pixels, but also saving lives. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the uh, asterisk. Yeah, it depends on the startup you're working with. <laughs> yeah. I know. I heard, heard a lot early in my career of like, nobody ever died underneath a website. And it's like, oh, that might not well. be true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>